0: The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. You can reach the show at boomergenerationradio at gmail.com. Or like the Boomer Generation Radio page on Facebook. And again, a reminder that these shows are podcasts as an archived on my website, uh, JewishSacredAging.com. You can tap into all the previous Boomer Generation Radio shows. We're going to be back with our first segment guest, Marilyn McGregor. We're going to be talking about the concept of creativity, which is a pretty good concept to start off on this um First Tuesday after Labor Day and beginning of school and all kinds of things and perhaps some concepts and desires of I wish I could do this or it's a new year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll be doing that right after we hear from our friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker Principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128.
0: Welcome back to our first segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. This is your host, Richard Address, and we are very happy to welcome back to, uh, Boomer Generation Radio, Marilyn McGregor, artist, uh, art smart travel, uh, based here in Philadelphia, but really worldwide. I can, I can say that. I can say that. Marilyn, are you there?
2: I am here, yeah.
0: Hi, hi. Good to hear your voice again. How you doing?
2: Uh, you too and I'm really honored to be uh, asked back to talk again it it was a real pleasure the first time
0: well thank you thank you um so it is uh, as i mentioned <laughs> it's the new year uh for many people school is starting uh, people are trying to get to work um you know uh, the the rumor has it that summer's ending and fall is coming and um some people may think this is a good time to get the creative juices flowing, and I know that that you are walking. We talked about this a year ago a little bit when you when you were first on the show. This idea of staying creative. So, could you walk me through your, your testimony? Your life journey has really been about, in many ways, I think, reinventing. What does it mean to you um, to be creative? What? It, what how important it is it for a human being, no matter what age they are to stay creative
2: right and i think that really is the key thing about it doesn't matter what age it doesn't matter what you do you don't have to be an artist whatever you are doing in your life the idea of living a life that is um, open to creativity and to being creative in whatever um way shape or form um, it fits your life is um, is the real crucial point um, that I've been basically an artist all my life, sometimes when I thought it was the worst thing I could be doing and can't I find something else to do? Um, but somehow or other that that has always really been who I am, and I think very much with that is a um, a sort of fascination with with discovering things and being open to new things and, you know, to not kind of cut off uh, possibilities to really sort of see what can happen if I do this and I've worked as a teacher and I've worked as a, at various levels, everything from little kids but mainly through high school and into college. Um, one of the places where I found yeah, creativity being called upon not so much because I was teaching art but just in terms of working with people and trying to get them excited about uh, things that I thought were important and could really enrich their lives. Um, So in many ways, being creative has to do with other people, of of not only feeding yourself, but reaching out to the world, people included, but the world as a whole, um, in ways that are kind of fresh and, and open. And so, as i one of the reasons that it occurred to me to talk about this on your show in the context of being older and thinking about staying creative as you get older um is 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 more a continuation of of something that may have been part of a person's life, but in many ways, this is the ideal time when you're not involved with the kind of um day-to-day raising kids and you have a little more time i mean time is really the key to a kind of shift in uh the possibilities for creativity in uh in a life that that you know just has, is freer to make choices um based on your own you know what you want to do when you wake up in the morning
0: you, you mentioned in, in in the earlier part of what you just talked about about the importance of Creativity being a, um, response or as a result of interaction with other people. Could you just elaborate on that? Because, you know, the, sometimes we have this mythology of I'll go off and, you know, by myself and think the great thoughts and come up with the great, great ideas. But yet what you seem to be saying is really creativity all, is often sparked by your interactions with other people and the free association and intercourse of ideas and personalities. It, it, would that be a correct statement?
2: yes i think I'm, i think it's a it's a complex kind of idea creativity and it depends on kind of what you're aiming for i mean i think anyone who aspires to be an artist in any form um needs to be comfortable being alone with themselves and to have time for thought and for um you know stillness uh and and to let things kind of happen, and they don't always happen um on a schedule that you may think you're sitting around doing absolutely nothing but you're you're you know sort of working on something and and it will kind of pop up uh, when you're not not really necessarily expecting it um but that uh, sense of being um being a a connecting force um in a creative way for other people um it can be something, and I'm sure many of your listeners already experience this as they have grandchildren or are involved in anything with, um, children that, that sense of, of, um, joy that is something we hope all children are, have every day, but to be able to kind of feed into that, to create, uh, opportunities for new discoveries. We, we, when we get older, we think we've kind of seen everything and all that, but to be able to, that with children is nice, but and really kind of gives you a spark of how can i how can I help with that? How can I make sure that um, my grandchildren or children that I spend time with are as excited about the world and see all the all the possibilities and all the adventures that are kind of out there um, That's a wonderful you know way to kind of feel creative that you're you're really feeding the world. Um, creativity, but it also reminds me of the years when I spent teaching high school. And um, high school is an interesting time, um, <laughs> as we all, because we've all went through it, we know it can be one of the most difficult times. And what I used to find with with um, high school students was that the hardest thing I had to do was to get them to free up their own creativity. That they were they were at that point in their lives, often they'd listen to so many people telling them what they should do that big should word and the um and the kind of you know color in the lines kind of thinking that often comes along with being a successful student nothing you know against the the conventional way of education but in some ways I used to always think that the job of an art teacher is to be a little subversive in that world because you want kids to think beyond outside the box and to forget about those lines and and see what happens you have to learn the techniques and the craft and all that but to kind of get past the the um conventional thoughts that that are i think in some ways a developmental phase but for many people at that high school age but that they've got so much waiting and once they if they can kind of break free of that um they really make a jump that, that serves them well all their life. And so part of my, a big part of my teaching was to try to figure out projects or explanations, a way to use words or to set examples or something that would show that you don't just take the first idea that comes along because it's kind of going to be the most conventional one. You kind of work through that and you get past that and, and you sort of Believe that in yourself as a, as someone who can bring a fresh perspective to things. Um, I, I, I learned so much in teaching. I mean, as I say, I've been an artist, working artist all my life, but I the the ability to um, be creative. Um, in the context of working with other people, um, I learned so much about that. It was really a wonderful experience.
0: And you, you alluded to something, Marilyn, about uh, we're speaking with Marilyn McGregor, a uh, local Philadelphia artist and involved with some art travel, art smart travel. We'll get to that in a bit. But you just alluded to something about your experience with high school uh, teaching. Is it your experience as a creative person dealing with art and the artistic mind and model that a lot of the culture just um, educates out creativity as people go through the system that they, that, you know, you said kids have it innate and innate, uh, innately, but you sort of like alluded to the fact that as they go through the system, you know, middle school, high school, co- college, there's a lot of the system that sort of like programs the risk taking creative thinking outside the box out of them is that your experience?
2: Well, I mean, to a certain extent, there there's always going to be that because um, it isn't it isn't just schools and things like that. It's the fact that um, we live in a world where, um, the, you know, life is expensive, and we expect our children to be able to come out of school able to make a living. And and even though there are many 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 ways of making good livings in um, creative fields that is not often what seems the safest to parents and and people who are who are bringing up children up to adulthood and and you know so it's not it's not a necessarily a negative thing it's a protective thing um, of trying to want your children to be safe and well cared for and be able to take care of themselves i have a daughter who's in her thirties and um, you know, that was always something I wanted, but because um, you know, that's not my background and I know that, that it is I think it's a very brave thing to actually be a professional creative in this world because there is so much worry that a creative life doesn't lead to a secure life. That's as I say, that's not true necessarily, but being creative professionally is very different from just being creative in your life. Being creative professionally means that if you really want to do that, you have got to be the smartest person in the room, you've got to be the most disciplined, you've got to be the most organized, you've got to accept that there's a lot to it that isn't just sitting in your studio creating beautiful things, that there's a great deal more to it. But that is really not kind of what I'm thinking of today. It's just more about... um it is too bad that the world um kind of brushes aside um the possibilities of a creative life um and sorts directly to things that seem to be more um, you know more more practical or pragmatic when when there are so many possibilities in a world that is so visual and so um so full of um ways, and i'm as a visual artist i 'm thinking mostly visually, but there are certainly all the other wonderful performing and and other types of arts uh, literary arts um but you know humans are always always going to need um the uh, creative fields even if they aren't willing to pay for it, and of course that's that's a whole other discussion right. about how much we're we're willing to pay for the things that really feed our soul as opposed to the things that feed our bodies.
0: Well, speaking of uh, paying for that, we'll be back with Marilyn right after this message from our friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org.
0: Welcome back to our first segment today here on Boomer Generation Radio coming to you on WWDB AM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on com with Marilyn McGregor a local artist creative mind etc talking about the role of creativity in our life and I, I, Marilyn I want to ask you a question about specifically you know as people getting older boomers um, the the spark of creativity does not go out uh, it's as we talked about and before the commercial uh it's not age defined how do you deal with how do you encourage somebody now transitioning into that third stage of life in their 60s 70s to be able to understand to accept to take the risk of of being creative how do how do we continue to flame that spark of creativity regardless of what that creative mind may you know, may, may choose to do.
2: Yeah, I, I think you pointed out a couple of things, that that sense of taking a risk and, and being willing to kind of um, let yourself go into something that may not feel familiar. Um, if someone has perhaps retired from a job where they knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing and were very much in control, that idea of um, stepping off into something that um, is less... Um, predictable um is both exciting and kind of fearful and um but i think it it can enrich um just day by day it can enrich things that as i say that i think the real sort of gift of of the older phase of life is time and and but that can be a double-edged sword there can be time that used to be all assigned and you knew where you were going to be and what you needed to do and i think that um that idea of of using that time in a way that you haven't used it before that is a risk but that is also so exciting and and of course if you really don't have um any sort of reference point in in your life in terms of doing something that is specifically creative there are many many ways to get Started, and so it is a perfect time. And uh, many people know this. I'm not really saying anything new to take classes, to take art classes, to try taking a clay class, a ceramic, you know, th- wheel throwing or, you know, something. I mean, it's kind of like you don't have anything to lose except your fear of doing something new. Um, you aren't trying to get a job, you're not trying to. Um, build a resume you are really trying to just um make your life as rich as possible using what you have a lot of which which is more time than you had when you were younger um i think of a friend of mine who's in her 60s who um has just returned to doing watercolors where she'd done some when she was younger and then she you know has done a lot of other things professionally and all that and she has just um come back to that and She's taking a class at one of the, there's a number of good local places to take, um, entry level or more sophisticated classes, art classes, um, as well as writing and things like that. You probably don't want to start becoming a dancer, although there, I'm sure there are people out there who could, but, but something that you can feel safe in terms of, um, you know, in a, in a context. And, um, but she's just having so much fun and she keeps putting her things up on Facebook. And it's kind of like, wow, she's really discovered something about herself that she's delighted to um, find and that is sort of amazing, everybody who knows her, because we had no idea that that was um, part of her, um, part of who she was. Um, And that sense of discovery, and and again, she's not doing it to be published or to sell in a gallery or anything. She is just really finding a kind of rich source of of enjoyment and um satisfaction.
0: You uh, provide opportunities if I'm not mistaken um and I just want to mention this before we start running out of time for this segment. The the creative urge of, through art um through travel uh, you you still take people on travel trips to Paris to explore the art of Paris.
2: Not just Paris, but um, some other places, mostly France. France is my, where what I know best, and I speak French and know Paris very well. Um, I'm also adding I, because they're very small and very um, personally organized, and I lead them all myself. Um, it is a very creative venture for me. It's a it is really an extension of my teaching, and and I love that whole kind of problem solving, which is I think another aspect a very important aspect of creativity if if you love puzzles if you love kind of figuring out how things go and fit together um, you know that's a great uh, creative path and and I find in my trips that because they're limited to as few as 10 and sometimes uh, 12 people um, you know I'm really know I'm working with a group and I know you know that that the kinds of pleasures and the kinds of activities Balancing a sort of um, sort of uh, adventure quotient with comfort and with um, familiarity, becoming familiar familiar with an unfamiliar place, and and the enjoyment of good foods and wines and and all that, the the sort of balancing of all that and putting it all together so it becomes this kind of mosaic of experience is really really fun for me and has been wonderfully successful with my trips. I'm actually – the next one I'm doing is actually next spring when I'm doing a new trip to the south of Spain, to the Andalusian area of Spain with Granada, the Alhambra and uh, Seville and places like that. I'm very excited about that.
0: It's beautiful down there. So Mm. let me ask you a question before because we're going to start to run out of time on this segment. Somebody wants to – Pursue this and think this is, wow, well, a small group, intimate art, food, wine, wine, food. Um, how do they get in touch with you? How, how do they contact you for more information?
2: Well, the best way is um, to go to my website, um, which is www.artsmarttalk, all one word, artsmarttalk.com. And when you come to that website, you will see the travel um uh menu along the top. There's Art Smart Travel and there's a um there's a button uh uh for you know blog contact about mostly just a way to get in touch with me and a little bit about who I am and how it works. But you can see on the front page of the website as well as under the heading of Art Smart Travel you can see the descriptions of the trips and and some testimony from people who've been on them and um, and another little section called what to expect from an ArtSmart tour. And, and many of the people, actually most of the people who come on my trip are kind of fit into this demographic of older people who are wonderfully open to experience and really excited to be with somebody who, who, um, you know, first of all, I, I understand that we're not all going 100 miles an hour every day and, you know, that sort of balance of the, of the real fun and excitement, with that sense of wanting to um, be in a place and and sort of learn about it um, without climbing mountains.
0: Are these like week long or ten dayers
2: Yeah, or? yeah, eight eight. Most are eight days. The one to Spain, is, which actually is full, although I will certainly take a waiting list and would love to build up, you know, the next group for it. Um, but there are eight to ten days.
0: And uh, they all leave from Philly or New York?
2: Well, I, they all meet at the destination, so I ah, I, okay. uh, I okay. have people arrange their own travel because then people can use miles or can go other places or however they want to do it, but we just begin and end at the hotel that is the um, base for the uh, trip.
0: So I, we, we have time for one quick question, and, and it's a real simple one. Um looking forward looking backward for people listening what's the greatest challenge that you've encountered in your life in continuing to be creative what's the greatest stumbling block that you see
2: i think i think it's probably just believing in myself Belie- believing you know it, it is part of the creative life that you um spend a lot of time thinking about your own ideas and to um and to remember that your perspective and your viewpoint is um valuable. And, and any artist, any creative person will go through ups and downs of um, doubts and and looking in comparisons. One of the biggest enemies, of course, is comparing to other people. Um, you know, and that certainly goes up and down and, and it is certainly nothing to Get discouraged. It's something I, as I say, my daughter is a creative person in the writing field, and we talk about that. You know, you just have to understand that that is part of the deal, that you will get discouraged, and you just need to take a walk around the block or go get an ice cream cone or, you know, do something, <laughs> and then come or back. To Spain, and, or go to Spain
0: or go to Spain and have right, some food exactly. and some it's
2: wine. Just, it's just sort of part of the... Like a you know an athlete training, you just have to understand that part of the pain of being creative is that you are going to have times when you look at yourself in the mirror and say, "You know I'm full of baloney and and you're not you just need to get past that and get on to the next thing so, so been... and actually it's one of the little keys I always think is a great i've had this as a recommendation, and pass it on is that if you're working on something creative and you've got an idea and all that sort of stuff um you know, don't try to finish it before you go to bed. You know, leave something to get up, look forward to it, to get up. When you get up in the morning.
0: In the next day. All right, thank you. Marilyn Marilyn McGregor, artist, local artist, uh, travel guide, raconteur, creative genius. And, um, again, the website, artsmarttalk.com, to get some more information about her trips and her work. Marilyn, thank you once again for uh, being a guest here on Boomer Generation Radio. I wish you continued success and uh, travel safe, okay?
2: Okay, great. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: We'll be back with our second segment with Dr. Uh, David Laskin to talk about, we're going to switch gears a little bit, um, talk about something that's uh, really increasingly of a concern with many of our generation, that's sleep apnea, and we'll be doing that. We're going to take a little musical break. It's a quiet day here and uh, sort of mellow, and we'll have a little mellow Johnny Mathis.
2: Sometimes we walk hand in hand by the sea and we breathe in the cool, salty air. You turn to me with a kiss in your eyes, and my
1: heart feels a thrill.
0: Welcome back to our second segment here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio coming to you from WWDB AM 860 here in Philadelphia. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And again, you can reach us at boomergenerationradio at gmail.com or like us at the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And again, a reminder that these shows are archived as podcasts on my website, uh, jewishsacredaging.com. And we are delighted to welcome back to our microphones in our show, Dr. David Laskin. Dr. Laskin, are you there, I hope? Good
3: morning, Richard. How are hey, you?
0: Hey, how you doing?
3: Very well, thank you.
0: How's uh, life in southern New Jersey today?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're all blessed that uh, the storm went east, not west.
0: Yes, I know. The great uh, severe coastal watch out the end of the world once again Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. David Laskin, a geriatrician, family practice, internal medicine in southern New Jersey, medical director of a hospice in Jersey. Welcome back to the microphones here on uh, Boomer Generation Radio. It's a pleasure to have you back on board. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for coming. So we want to talk about today uh, uh, a subject that rarely, other than uh, one-minute commercials during the six – to 7 p.m. news hour um, <laughs> and various radio commercials that I've heard of for some machines that I think uh, are defied description. Uh, this issue of sleep apnea, I've, I've started to run into this uh, more and more about uh, people of our generation who all of a sudden are dealing with this and never dealt with it before. What, Dr. Laskin, what's going on here? What is this? What is sleep apnea?
3: Well, I think we need to frame it a little bit differently that sleep apnea is one of several different sleep disorders that all of us have, but the biggest question we have to ask ourselves is the following: Number one, am I have, having trouble getting good night's sleep? And number two, am I still tired after seven or eight hours of sleep?
0: Seven? We we'll get Can seven I, or eight hours of
3: sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, unfortunately, about 70 million people in the United States suffer from a sleep problem. Which could include poor sleep habits, depression, restless leg syndrome, narcolepsy, and the big boy, sleep apnea.
0: Wow! Uh, how many people? How many people? How many people did you say?
3: Seventy million. That's S- a big number.
0: That's a huge number.
3: Right. And uh, there is an organization which called the National Sleep Foundation that say that uh, in a survey they did that seventy percent of people they surveyed. Found that their doctor never even asked them about their sleep habits, and that a majority of these people feel that this is going to get better without any kind of uh, therapy. So it's a very, very alarming number. Now, 25 million people have sleep apnea, and this startling thing is, 85% of them, 85% have never been diagnosed.
0: Oh, what, so, so that, what? That's scary what, stuff. What exactly? What is sleep? My understanding from friends of mine who say they have it, and I have some friends who carry on these machines, um, CPAP machines. It's a it's a it's a, dis, um, a disorder or interruption of the normal breathing patterns during sleep. Is that correct?
3: Okay. So apnea. The word apnea means a disorder where someone stops breathing while they're asleep for greater than ten seconds. That's oh. an apnea period.
0: Oh. Okay. That means. So that's... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're... So that,
3: that's a, that's a major insult to the body.
0: Ten seconds.
3: Ten seconds is, is considered something called an apnea period, and I think what we need to do is we need to first set up what sleep looks like for us and how boomers are affected as we age, and then understand what sleep apnea is all about. Go ahead. So there are two types of sleep that we have. One is called non rapid eye movement, non-REM, and the other one is called rapid eye movement or REM stage sleep. And all of us are aware of REM stage because that's when we dream. Uh, And that represents the mental acuity that we need to have proper thought processes during the day when we have proper REM stage sleep. The non-REM has four stages in it. And when you combine the non-REM and REM, it lasts about 70 to 100 minutes per cycle. So we have hopefully four or five cycles a night of these non-REM-REM stages. And we need those in order to have bodily health, emotional stability, and mental acuity. Now, three things happen with boomers as we age. Number one, we need to understand sleep latency. Sleep latency is the time it takes from full awakeness to reach the first stage of sleep. And that's unfortunately, increases with age. So it takes us longer to fall asleep. The second thing we have to look at is sleep efficiency, which is the time spent in bed divided by the time actually asleep. The higher the number, the better, but unfortunately for boomers, as we age, it decreases with age. Kind of make the analogy of a fuel efficiency of a car, miles per gallon. So as we get older, we don't have as much efficiency. And as we all know, we get up earlier than what we did as a younger person, and we go to bed earlier compared to a younger person. So those are the three things that are affecting boomers as we sleep. So Now, in terms of looking at sleep apnea, yeah. there are three types. The biggest one we know about is called obstructive sleep apnea. That's the one we all are aware of, the snoring And the reason why we snore is because the muscles of the upper airway, such as the palate, the uvula, the tonsils, the muscles in the back of the throat, relax, and the airway collapses, blocking the intake of air. What happens then is that drops the oxygen level in our arteries, which sends a signal to the brain to say, hey, wake up. And we wake up with a startle and a snort and a gag. But... We don't remember this when we sleep, and so we wake up tired because we keep having these periods of apnea and these startling awakes. The second type of sleep apnea is called central sleep apnea, which is a bad actor, where this time the brain fails to send a proper signal to the diaphragm and the chest muscles. The airway stays open, but the body forgets to breathe. And that could be seen in strokes, uh, end-stage emphysema, Narcotics, heart failure, morbid obesity. And then the third stage of sleep apnea is the mixed bag of both central and obstructive sleep apnea.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah, like, wow. I mean, this is, it makes
3: you I not mean, you know, I, to I want to go to sleep tonight. But a, <laughs> like, this, I may stay a awake all heavy night. Topic. <laughs> well, yeah, your your sleep sleep efficiency is diminishing, and your sleep latency is increasing. That's right.
0: Wow. Oh, okay, but so in all, in all seriousness, this, this is obviously with 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 so many million people being affected by this. And does this is, does this syndrome come on more as we get older?
3: Absolutely, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But so so what's the big deal? So you have sleep apnea. Who cares? Yeah. Well, why is that important?
0: The person well, sleeping next to you, no. may, the person sleeping next to you may care. <laughs>
3: Well, you know, that's interesting because usually it's the person next to you that notices right. the problem firsthand, you know, giving you the elbow in the side or saying, you know, you snored last night or, boy, I had to move out of the room because you were so noisy. But so, so what did you have sleep apnea? What's the big deal? And the big deal is that the more severe the sleep apnea gives you a higher risk for heart attack, right? stroke, hypertension, diabetes, Nighttime urination, you know, men get up in the middle of the night because of their prostate, but it also could be because of sleep apnea. And lastly, what about all the people that wake up tired that have to go on the roads driving and putting others at risk because they are sleep-deprived? So this is this is a big, big issue.
0: So given that and, and, and given the fact that somebody may say, you know, I have this situation, how do you begin to deal with it? I know these machines are out, but – Obviously, there's no medication. Well, you don't take medication for this, do you? That's
3: correct. You don't take medication. But first of all, you need to find out who are these people. And there are two tests that are widely used that even you and I can talk about with friends to see if we can help identify whether they have sleep apnea or not. The first one is called Epworth, E-P-W-O-R-T-H. after to Dr. Epworth. And he had a sleepiness scale that looks at eight questions. Do you sleep during sitting and reading, watching TV, sitting inactive in a public place like a theater, as a passenger car for over an hour without a break? Do you need to lie down to rest in the afternoon when possible? Do you sleep when you sit and talk with someone? And if you're driving in a car while stopped for a few minutes of traffic, do you fall asleep? Mm. And so he's graded these things from a zero to three. Uh, Point scale for each of these questions, so a total of 24 points that gives you an idea of the potential risk you have for sleep apnea. And then the biggest thing that I think would help everyone out there in Radioland is something called the Stop Bang, B-A-N-G, questionnaire. It's a mnemonic for eight things. S is for snoring. So do you snore loudly? Like can people hear you through a closed door? Or uh, is someone giving you an elbow to kick you over to your side? The T stands for tired. Are you having daytime fatigue or sleepiness? The O is for observed apnea or choking. P is for pressure. Are you being treated for high blood pressure? B is for body mass index. So that's the number of inches divided by pounds, and usually a body mass index of over 35 is the number that you worry about. A is for age, so the older you are, i.e. over 50, the higher the risk for sleep apnea. N is for neck circumference, so men who have a neck circumference greater than 17 inches or women at 16 inches uh, are at higher risk for sleep apnea. And the G for stop bang stands for gender, so men have this much more frequently than women.
0: Hmm. So... This, this whole phenomenon, going back to something that you, that you really started with, of sleep, we take for granted, but really this is something as we get older, we should be very, very cognizant of, because obviously from what you're saying and implying, lack of sleep or sleep disturbances like sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome, et cetera, et cetera, really will have or can have other health implications that are quite serious. Is that correct?
3: Devastating impact, sure. And think about it, Richard. We spend one-third of our lives asleep. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Although
0: after this morning, I may not.
3: <laughs> so let's talk about symptoms of sleep apnea, because there's a ton of them. And we talked to some of them already about loud, persistent snoring, brief episodes of choking or gasping during sleep. Excessive daytime sleepiness, diminished energy, irritability, personality changes, morning headaches, loss of concentration, frequent nighttime urination, falling asleep at inappropriate times, nighttime acid reflux, Mm -hmm. dry throat, very importantly, diminished libido. And lastly, memory loss. So lot, lots of stuff. I mean, wow. you know, it's a staggering, staggering disease. And that's why we talked about it at our last get-together on the radio, that we need to talk about sleep apnea. We have to bring out the message to people. They have to be alerted to this.
0: Well, we're with Dr. David Laskin, uh, family practice, internal medicine, geriatrician based in southern New Jersey, medical director of a, of a Jersey hospice. We're going to be back with Dr. Laskin to explore some of these uh, implications that he's raising right after this message from our friends down the street at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit kendalloutreach.org.
0: Welcome back to our second segment of today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio here on WWDBAM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia, streaming live on WWDBAM.com. We're back with Dr. David Laskin talking about um, the issue of sleep apnea. And, and this is a really a, a 70 million people, according to Dr. Laskin, dealing with sleep issues and a significant numbers of millions of people dealing with sleep apnea. And we've talked about some of the... The symptoms and some of the tests for this and some of the implications health-wise. And before we took that little break for Ken, uh, for Kendall, Dr. Laskin was talking about some of the implications health-wise. Dr. Laskin, you mentioned, you mentioned one of the six or seven things that you mentioned briefly about personality changes. This is intriguing. How does sleep apnea affect per, uh, the changes in one's personality?
3: well, you know, it's irritability, lack of concentration. You know, something's wrong with that person. You know, it's, it's a, you know, pers- recent irritability, fatigue, and depression kind of is a formula for sleep, obstructive sleep apnea. It's almost like a template. So when people have a, a drastic change in the way that they appear to others, it has to be in the differential diagnosis uh, as to why the change has occurred.
0: And why don't you mention this also before, which I found fascinating. You, you said the majority of people, when they'll go in for an exam or physical, if they do that, that this is rarely mentioned. What is this? Why? And is this changing? Because so many boomers I don't know are whether it's
3: changing. And I know I know in my practice, it's uh, paramount. I, I have that as one of my questions during my history and physical examination. But think about it. You know, unfortunately, in today's society, uh, the primary care doctor has less and less time to identify all the issues at play, and therefore the top priorities take preference, i.e. high blood pressure, heart disease, lung disease. Uh, the subspecialists are not going to spend time doing this. You're not going to have a conversation with your cardiology about a cardiologist about this. So it's it's a field that has not been given enough attention. And obviously, I think that uh, education in the medical schools is going to have to change to prepare new physicians for this.
0: Now, but I've heard some people who actually go in for sleep monitoring or sleep testing. They'll go in overnight to a clinic or something, and they'll, they'll be wired up and technicians will <laughs> monitor their sleep habits. Is that for yes, this? let's
3: talk about that. So you're talking about something called a polysomnogram. Okay. Big word. Yeah. That basically is done either in a sleep lab right? or you can actually do it sometimes at home, although the, uh, the home testing does not measure sleep as well as the full study in the lab, and it underestimates obstructive sleep apnea. But uh, in a polysomnogram, you go into this uh, center at about 8 o'clock at night, go through your normal routine uh, as you prepare for bed, and you get connected to multiple sensors. Uh, checking your electrocardiogram, your oximeter level, which is your oxygen level, it checks your breathing pattern, it checks noise to see whether you snore, it checks brainwave activities, and it checks muscle activity. So it's a pretty intensive kind of study. And what it does measure is something called AHI, the apnea hypopnea index. It looks at the amount of times you stop breathing and the amount of times that there's a reduced flow and correlates it with the reduction in your oxygen saturation because again the, the bottom line is is your arterial oxygen level dropping enough that's causing the brain to say hey wake up and open the airways wow. that's the key thing so the higher this ahi level means the worse the obstructive sleep apnea which means the higher incidence of stroke heart failure atrial fibrillation and most importantly, a reduction in survival, and that's a staggering statement. The worse sleep apnea reduces your survival. Reggie White.
0: Reggie White. There. Reggie
3: White died of obstructive sleep apnea. Really? You know, it's, it's yes. It's a scary, scary thing.
0: So you alluded to this before the before the commercial break. This seems to be a situation more prevalent with people as, as we get older, baby boomers especially. And and the reason for that is because our our bodies themselves are changing, and there's more just stuff going on. I mean, that's <laughs> stuff, a right? that's a, that's a non-medical approach. Oh, I thought that was a medical stuff. term.
3: Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, you know unfortunately, uh, age and and um, increased weight. Inactivity, uh, all those things add wow. uh, to the problem. And again, we have a reduction in our efficiency of sleep, so it just piles it on.
0: So, so, is, so <laughs> you know, you, it's amazing because so, so is ec- keeping the body moving, exercise and body movement. To quote twelfth uh, century physician Moses Maimonides, is that a way to deal with this? I mean, Absolutely. And what about, so these machi- what about these machines?
3: Yeah, let's talk about treatment a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, because so, we only have about seven or eight minutes left in this segment. So okay, go ahead.
3: I, I got it. I got it together. So people that you're going to run into in terms of assessing your sleep uh, apnea will be a pulmonologist who are usually the sleep specialists, an ENT doctor, a general surgeon, a dentist, your primary care physician, and there are multiple different uh, modalities for treatment. And unfortunately, when you have multiple modalities it means that not anything is really the best. But you've mentioned CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure. And that's the first line of therapy and the commonest treatment. For example, my, my good friend Ed uh, was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It has made a difference in his life. It's, it's a portable machine. He's able to go anywhere with it, and it's improved the quality of its life. Unfortunately, only 50% of people can tolerate it. Basically, it's like a vacuum cleaner in reverse. And it's a pneumatic splint that pops the airway open at night, but you need uh, heated humidification. And therefore, it's a real pain to wear. Either you wear a mask or nasal pillows. Uh, And so with 25 million people uh, suffering with obstructive sleep apnea, you know that technology is going to change But the latest thing has been something called Inspire Therapy. So think about this, Richard. Surgeons are putting in an implantable sensor right above uh, the, the sternum that senses breathing patterns and delivers mild stimulation to the key airway muscles and helps keep the airway open during sleep. Very cool. Very, very new. Wow! Uh, and if you uh, Google Thomas Jefferson University Sleep Center or Robert Wood Johnson or the Mayo Clinic, you can read about Inspire Therapy. It's something that's brand new. It's going to be in the literature, and it's something very exciting. But other simple things could be losing weight, stopping smoking, exercise. They've shown studies that going to a physical therapist helps reduce sleep apnea. You can have... A special belt that you wear that has balls in the back so you, you can't feel comfortable lying on your back, you roll to your side. Or uh, you can have a dental appliance so the dentist can move your jaw lower jaw forward. It takes the tongue away from the back of your airway.
0: What about these pillows so the, that you see advertised? Yes.
3: Like, so re- the, really? vertical pillows. Really? right? So it encourages you to lay on side because, again, think about it. Gravity, when you're lying supine, we all like to lie down on our back, so as we get older, the muscles are more lax, and therefore gravity collapses the muscles, even in our palate, blocking the airway. So by gravity, turning to the side is a real key thing. So with the last couple minutes I have, I just want to bring out a couple things that all boomers should do about sleep. Number one... Maintain a regular wake and sleep pattern seven days a week. Don't change it up weekends and weekdays. Avoid napping during the day.
0: Wow. Well, stop, 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 stop.
3: <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs>
0: wait a minute. Hee-haw, whoa. Now, when I'm on vacation, the 2 o'clock post-lunch nap is like a gift from the gods. Are you telling okay. me cut that out?
3: I'm telling you if you're having issues with sleep.
0: Oh, if you're having issues with sleep. Okay.
3: Right. Uh, avoid caffeine, nicotine, and alcohol close to bed because they're all stimulants. Right. Exercise. You should do more vigorous things either in the morning or the late afternoon and kind of more sedate exercise in the evening like yoga, meditation. Avoid large meals close to bed. So watching spices and caffeine like chocolate because they're stimulants. Oh, my God! Establish a regular, relaxing bedtime routine. So avoid, you know, confrontations, angers, uh, aggressive activities.
0: Watching the Phillies. <laughs>
3: or the Eagles coming up.
0: Uh, associate
3: the bed with sleep. Avoid TV and reading in bed. And lastly, make sure the sleep environment is pleasant and relaxing. And, and those are just key things we all should, you know, use as an adage going forward so that, again, we spend a third of our life asleep, our sleep is deteriorating because of our age, and we need to be well-rested to have emotional stability and mental acuity, which is paramount to all of us.
0: Yeah, I, I think people don't realize, from, and this has been like very important to highlight the fact that sleep does impact or lack thereof. So many other health issues um, that, like you've alluding to, people just take it for granted. Just people take it for granted or just knock it off and say, well, it's part of getting older, so what can I do about it? But you can right. do something about it, obviously. Absolutely. So the, the sleep, you mentioned a bunch of other – we have like two minutes left. The, okay. These other issues of sleep, uh, the the restless leg syndrome, is that also part of that? Uh, it's not just circulatory. This is also part of something larger?
3: So restless leg syndrome is a disorder, a neurological disorder, that there's throbbing, creeping, or other unpleasant sensations in the legs, and you have an uncontrollable urge to move them. Actually, women suffer more than men, and researchers have found that there's a disorder of the... Basal ganglia uh, of the brain. Of the brain. So people that have Parkinson's disease have this. Uh, you also see it in people that have uh, diabetes, uh, chronic kidney disease, or peripheral neuropathy. It's an unknown cause. I mean, obviously, Parkinson's disease can cause damage to the basal ganglia, but really no one knows why these other things are causing restless legs. Uh, narcolepsy, we talked about, is when someone has a difficulty staying awake they fall asleep regardless of where they are right you know collapse at the office desk uh, giving a lecture just right and and so um, a a scary scary thing narcolepsy fortunately has medication such as Adderall to help that Uh, depression people that are depressed just want to stay asleep all day long they don't have the energy and obviously we talked about poor sleeping habits you know excessive amounts of alcohol um, of you know, sedatives, muscle relaxants, all those things will impact our sleep.
0: We've been speaking with Dr. David Laskin, and really just uh, uh, over. Thank you very much. This has been very educational, a little scary, but but also very informative. <laughs> no, 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 seriously, uh, that our generation really needs to take a take a look and 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 listen to our bodies, literally and figuratively. Um, and deal with these sleep issues because, as you said, this has uh, implications for our general health. So, Dr. David Laskin, once again, thank you for coming back uh, um, on your regular visit. I look forward to to our next go-around in a couple of months. So thank you, uh, Salo Home, and uh, just take care of yourself. Stay healthy, and uh, I'll see you soon, I hope. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much, Dr. David Laskin. To all of you, thank you for joining us here in another edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We'll see you next week here on WWDB Tuesday mornings at 10 o'clock Eastern. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Have a great week. Take care. Bye-bye.